Are you ready to begin this month's story, Voxbot? But where is your brother Bentley Bramblebanks? He's in the conservatory. I don't think I've ever seen Master Bentley in the conservatory before. Apparently our cockatiel is acting strangely, and Bentley felt the need to investigate. Hadn't we better wait for Master Bentley's return before beginning the story? No. No? Voxbot, have you never noticed how much more likely Bentley is to begin one of our stories than myself? No, I haven't. Does that trouble you? Yes. And also, there's no order to our story selection. There's no thought to the overall impression we are presenting to the world, to the diversity of our Uro, or the needs of our audience. Whatever reminds Bentley of a story, there we are. We have an audience? Well, it's hard to say. Later, we could check to see if we have any comments or ratings on iTunes, and that might give us some insight. But the point, Voxbot, is that in case we do have an audience, we shouldn't tell stories in this happenstance manner or willy-nilly. So I've made a chart. Its progression is organized by the nature of the story's central conflict. So, for instance, man versus man. Man versus technology. All right, whatever. Voxbot, are you taking Bentley's side? Side. Voxbot? Welcome, data points, to the inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers electronic story time presentation of Coquettes and Cougars. Be prepared to hear a thrilling tale, carefully selected just for you through the input of focus groups and the careful tracking of your internet browsing history. I now turn you over to one of the Brimblebanks Brothers himself because the other Brimblebanks Brother is checking on the cockatiel. This evening, thought Vernon Sterling, certainly does hold interesting promise. That's rather the nature of debutante balls, though, isn't it? He thought to himself as he walked along a tree-lined residential street of northeast Atlanta on his way to the Belle Daphne Country Club where the ball was taking place. And it's not just the Debs themselves who are interesting, thought Vernon, but all those old money society types who are so easy to toy with. He knew he'd have caused at least three Debs to blush and have improper thoughts about him, mortally insult countless dowdy dowagers by mid-evening, and then spend the second half of the night smoothing it all over so that everyone loved him again. Yes, it's good to be me, he thought, smiling at the twilight bird song he noticed all around him. Vernon hadn't had his driver deliver him to the ball because he had let his driver go. The fellow collected a paycheck but worked so infrequently. After all, what reason was there for him to leave the only small pocket of northeast Atlanta that had anyone worthwhile living in it? Vernon's smile suddenly grew sly, or more sly, as it were. Ah, yes. Young Maribel Carraway is one of the Debs that comes out tonight. Isn't that just a delicious prospect? Oh, God! Suddenly, Vernon Sterling was lifted off his feet into the air, landing four feet away. Powerful claws sunk into his body, holding him still while terrible teeth tore into him again and again. One arm was ripped completely from his torso as he reached out with the other towards a car that was making its way down the tree-lined street. Inside the car, strangely enough, was Maribel Carraway herself, with her family. Jameson. Hmm? Your 
presence is required in the conservatory. But I'm... I'm right in the middle of a critical juncture in the story. You started without me? Just a little. Well, you're needed for the cockatiel. Why me? I never even wanted that bird. But it's receiving a psychic message, Jameson, and... It really does that? Receive psychic messages? I, I thought you made that up for the webpage. Just because no one ever does send their messages through our psychic cockatiel doesn't mean the cockatiel hasn't been perfectly capable of receiving the psychic messages if any were to have been sent. And now one has. So what is the message? Well, I can't tell because I think the message is in Sumerian. And I'm terrible at Sumerian. But you speak it fluently. You're not in the least bit curious what... Fine. But the story is already recording, so you'll have to pick it up from here and keep it going without me until I get back. Very well. Where did you leave off? Um, the Carraway family is in the rear of their limousine, on their way to the debutante ball. When they pass by the... Oh, yes, yes. Excellent. Good. Go see the bird. Fine. And so the Carraway family was on their way to what was sure to be one of the most memorable and important nights of Maribel Carraway's life, her debutante ball. She was nervous and excited, and in a big poofy white dress. Her mother was talking incessantly while her father drank soda pop. Remember, Maribel, said her mother, Fanny Carraway. Stay away from Vernon Sterling. We let you pick Charles Cumberland as your escort because he'll look good at your side. But don't get any ridiculous notions about him. His family is established now, certainly, but for hardly any longer than ours has been. But I, I kind of like Charles. He's... No Charles and no Vernon, but do whatever you can to catch the eyes of Philbert Fitzwilliams, who is visiting the Sterling family from England. Oh, what a match that would be. Old world breeding and honor combined with our families. Well, the importance of our families. Money! Our money! You can just say it, Fanny. We're rich, but we're sody pop rich. And you don't think sody pop rich is good enough for our daughter. Above the required tuxedo, Colonel Carraway sported a huge white handlebar mustache and a pair of equally bushy white eyebrows. And above all of that, a bright red ten-gallon hat. He knew this was not proper dress for a debutante ball, but he was never seen in public without it. As both the owner and public persona of Colonel Carraway Cola, it was expected. Fanny had objected, of course, but he could not be dissuaded from wearing it. It was his costume as was, to a degree, the character of Colonel Carraway himself. But if you wear a costume all the time, doesn't it, at some point, just become you? Don't be impolite, Colonel. Do you have to call Dad Colonel, Mom? He's not even an actual Colonel. And Dr. Pepper isn't a real doctor. Dad! Show me his medical degree. Show me, I'll say, that stuck-up Yankee elitist. Dad! Colonel Carraway Cola has every bit as much prestige and good taste and we don't need Pepper's hopped-up Hippocratic honorifics. Remember, dear, Filbert Fitzwilliams. Make sure he notices you. How, Mom? Decolletage works every time. Colonel! What? I said it in French! Once arrived, the Kenaway family entered the Belle Daphne Country Club. The country club was filled with young women in dresses that were different in ways that seemed very important to them, but seemed nearly identical to everyone else. And young men dressed in tuxedos that were, in fact, absolutely identical. The blandly handsome Charles Cumberland appeared in the lobby to greet Maribel and her family. Hello, Charles. Thank you for escorting our daughter. It's really my pleasure, Mrs. Carraway. There's no one else I'd rather spend the evening with. 
You don't need to spend the evening with her, dear. Just walk her across the stage and have one dance. Oh, but really, it's no trouble. I mean, it's, uh, um, uh, more than... Mom. Uh, Hello, Caraways. Georgia May. Another deb in a poofy white dress had approached. Georgia May was tall with long dark hair, elaborately arranged atop her head in a fashion that suggested an expensive chandelier. She came from an old prestigious family. Her mother, Tallulah May Hathaway, was the Grand Duchess of the Greater Savannah Bird Slapping Society. And if she didn't approve of you, you'd never go slapping birds with the elite. Fanny hated her, and desperately craved her approval at the same time. We're always so happy to see you. Thank you, Caraways, for providing this evening's refreshments. Why, any old family can bring honor and refinement, but only the caraways can provide the bubbled-up sugar water in aluminum canisters that make any society function complete. Did we donate the beverages? Nobody told me. She's being a bitch, Dad. Maribel! I just love your dress, Maribel. I know the retro look is in, but can last year's fashion already be retro? How progressively retro. Maribel, we should fetch our instructions for later. I saw the Master of Ceremonies outside. No, Maribel, you stay here. Charles can go on his own. I'll come with you, Charles. No, George May, that's... Oh, dear. Said Maribel's mother, clutching her arm. Stay here, child. Let them go. Look who's walking this way. Mom, I should go with Charles. Hello. Would all of you happen to have seen my friend Vernon Sterling? He was supposed to have been here by now. I'm sorry, dear. We haven't seen him. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm being so rude. I just feel so dreadfully out of place here, and I'm not certain of the rules. I know how you feel. I feel as out of place as a balloon in a porcupine convention. Vernon had promised to guide me. I, I'm staying with his family this summer, but he's not even here to make my introductions, so I've had to do it myself, it seems. Uh, I'm Philbert Fitzwilliams, of the Canterbury Fitzwilliamses. We're the Carraways, sir. Colonel Carraway. Course you know who I am. Do I? I'm Miss Carraway, and this is our daughter, Maribel. I'm charmed. You must be so excited for your coming out. But here you are in your big night, and I've let my ignorance of Southern American culture lead me to be so very insulting in my abrupt self-introduction. Let me make it up to you with a dance later. Make up for your lack of etiquette by dating to dance with me? I suppose I should be ever so honored because my family is so low and yours is so very high. Thank you for your condescension and pity, Lord Fitzwilliams. Don't think it's not appreciated, but I'm afraid my dance card is quite full. Maribel! If you'll excuse me. And Maribel stalked off. Maribel! Her mother followed after, and the colonel walked in a different direction, noticing the buffet. This left Filbert Fitzwilliams standing alone. Bentley, the damned cockatiel didn't say a thing to me in Sumerian, or any other language. Well, you're clearly not listening correctly. You can come with me at the act break if you insist, and demonstrate how I should be receiving psychic messages in Sumerian through our cockatiel. But we can't do it now. I mean, a child would know how, but very well. Where were we? Gilbert Fitzwilliams was standing alone. Ah, but he was shortly joined by Ernest Belmont, another good friend of Vernon Sterling's. What was happening with you and the Caraways just now, Philbert? I'm sorry to say it's already causing some horrible sound and gossip. I'm afraid I was a bit impulsive and clumsy and bullocked things up with Maribel Caraway, who I rather wanted to talk to. H have you seen Vernon Sterling? Uh, he was supposed to be making my introductions. 
Actually, Jameson, I thought Vernon was supposed to be making Fitzwilliam's introductions. The Filbert Maribel meet-cute turned into a very awkward scene without him. Where is the rake Vernon, Jameson? Why isn't he here as he was supposed to be? What do you mean? Wasn't it clear in the first scene? I wasn't here. What happened while I was communing with the cockatiel? I'm entirely lost as to your meaning. Ernest was puzzled. Isn't Vernon here yet, Philbert? Ah, well. Thins being as they are these days, he was probably eaten by a mountain lion. <laughs> mountain lions in Atlanta. I have rather the same question. About what? Stop interrupting. You're making the dialogue hard to follow. Good God, what was that? I'm completely lost. Boxbot, hurry us to the act break. Filbert and Ernest rushed to the door of the country club and outside, where they were met with the sight of Georgia May Hathaway in hysterics. Her once pristine white debutante dress splattered from its hem to its waistline in gore and a scarlet shock of blood. Maribel Carraway was at Georgia May's side, trying to calm her. Georgia May pointed to her left, and everyone looked to see one of the tuxedoed gentlemen lying nearby. Only where once this tuxedoed gentleman had been identical to all the other tuxedoed gentlemen, he now distinctly stood apart from his head. Bloody shreds had been made of his coat and pants, and his head was no longer in the customary place upon his neck, but lying instead a few feet away. Charles! No! What? Dear God, what an unspeakable horror. My goodness, yes, Filbert. Georgia May certainly can't walk down the stage with a dress spattered with blood like that. This certainly will be an evening she'll always remember. Now, make sure your own outfit is appropriate for the occasion, while we bring you this message from our commercial sponsors. Thank God. This month's episode of The Brimblebanks Brothers Electronic Storytime is proudly brought to you by... Pistachios. Little, salty, disturbing. As the southern landed gentry scream, as their bones are snapped and licked clean, snap open a few. Pistachios. Sophisticated, strange, like little green alien pods. Like beatniks. Crunchy, oval, worrisome. Like the dried-out brains of locusts surgically removed. Remember, electronic storytime fans, dirty hipsters like mustachios, and story listeners love pistachios. Pistachios. And creamy pale green pistachio ice cream. Supporting the Brimblebanks Brothers Electronic Storytime for one month and counting. Keep up the good work, Jameson and Bentley. We're a member of the Cashew family, but you two are just a couple of nuts. Welcome back to the inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers Electronic Storytime presentation of Debutante Disaster. Here are the... Um... Here are the tense and silent Brimblebanks brothers themselves. I just, I'm exasperated by the whole situation.
Are you Would just you going like to, to explain? Go ahead. No, I want you to. Why do you keep interrupting the story? Why do I? Jameson, I'm going to ask you directly. Did you purposely start the story when I was out of the room so that you could do whatever it is you did to this tale? I'm sorry, what? Do what to it? Do what to it? Where is Vernon Sterling? What what just happened to Charles, Maribel's escort? Why is Georgia May covered in blood? I'm aware that you weren't present for the beginning of the story, tending to your important and pressing cockatiel work as you were, but I thought we had agreed on the story we were going to tell beforehand. We're following the chart. You got your beans on toast, so we're following the chart. Yes, I know that. I agreed to your stupid idea. Stupid idea. Do you know, I made your beans and toast without reservation and with a song in my heart. I wish the cook weren't on vacation. Insult upon insult. What happened to poor mangled Charles? I'm confounded that that isn't clear to you, Bentley. Well, it's not. He was eaten by a mountain lion. Oh, well, now it all makes sense. Eaten by a mountain lion in the middle of modern-day Atlanta, Georgia, at a debutante ball. Yes. Leaving aside the absurdity of that statement, Charles was integral to the story. How could Maribel choose between two suitors, one of them self-centered and rude, but also strangely alluring with a proper social standing, and the other sweet and kind, but boring and slightly of the wrong social class, if one of the two of them has been eaten by a mountain lion? What in the world are you talking about? This suitor or that suitor with a slightly wrong social class? Who gives a fig, Bendy? It doesn't matter which one of them she chooses. For one, she can't be much more than 18 years old, and for two, who cares? It's the nature of the story. I wanted to do another science fiction story about gay people in space, but you said we had to follow the chart. We did have to follow the chart. And the chart said this month's conflict is man versus society, a comedy of manners. And so it matters very much which social class the suitors are from and who she chooses. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, good God. Is that what's going on? What a mess. You've read the chart wrong, Bentley. This month's conflict is man versus nature. An exciting survival story of rich urban aristocrats unaccustomed to fighting for their lives against the... Give me that bloody chart. Mountain lions. You're wrong. You skipped a line with your eye. Look. Oh. Blast. Damn and blast. Man versus society. This month's story was man versus society. Bentley, I'm... I'm sorry. I can't leave you alone and go confer with our psychic cockatiel for even ten minutes. Mountain lions! Bentley, well, I understand your frustration. We can't continue to bicker like this. We need to rise above it and finish the story. I agree with Master Jameson. And how do you propose we do that at this point? Well, we must present a united front as always. So you'll abandon this silly man versus nature thing and get rid of the mountain lions and finish the story properly. Well, we can't just get rid of the mountain lions and... I mean, Bentley, we've already established the man versus nature conflict. No, we didn't. You did. United front. Fine. So, 
We finish the heroic and terrifying tale of a group of underprepared and overprotected city dwellers forced to fight for their lives against the raw power of the natural world. Well, if we can't abandon that story, then we also have to resolve the questions of the social status of Meribel Carraway's family and her marriage prospects in regard to the suitors. Or, or suitor, as it were. The question remains, after all, can Meribel overcome the arbitrary social restrictions put upon her to find happiness and a proper match at her debutante ball? Good grief. Really? Meribel Carraway's marriage prospects and her social standing matter to you? At this moment, yes. More than anything. Very well. Then we shall resolve both conflicts simultaneously. I'm certain we can manage it. I am less certain, but we won't know until we try. My stomach gets upset when you fight. You don't even have a stomach. The circuit's in my tummy region. Why do we have a robot who says tummy? Don't take it out on her. Let's just move on with the story. (sighs) After the mess was cleared up, the debutante ball proceeded as planned. There were, however, two major problems. Georgia May did not have a dress, and Maribel, almost as horribly, did not have an escort. The two lost and mortified pre-debs stood in a back hallway of the country club, two Z's into a tizzy, and trying not to argue about which one of their tragedies was the worst. Philbert Fitzwilliams, meanwhile, was retrieving his hat and coat while Vernon's friend Ernest was trying to stop him. Really, Fitzy, you can't leave. (laughs) You don't know me well enough yet to call me that. And I can't see what else I can do but leave. Mother was very clear that I was not to leave America without meeting Maribel Carraway so that her family's money could save my family's fortunes through a match. It wasn't a trip I was looking forward to especially, except to see my good friend Vernon. Then I arrive, and I find Maribel is not only much prettier than I expected her to be, she's also strong-willed and intelligent. I must admit to being somewhat smitten. Well, good for you, Fitz. Uh, old boy? That's great news. See how things work out? But I utterly offended the lady in question, ruining any chances to save my family's fortunes or bring light to my own heart. And the only person who could have saved the situation with his rakish charms, my friend Vernon Sterling, has apparently been ingested by a mountain lion. Yes, that was bad news for you. Listen, Fitzy, how can I convince you to stay? You could get me on Maribel Carraway's dance card? Isn't there anything else? Because I can't see a way to do that. Then I'm lost, Ernest. And so is my family. Thank you for trying. You've been a good friend. I can still catch the evening flight back home. Coat and hat in hand, Fitzwilliams hurried to the doorway of the country club. Where he was brought up straight by the sight of a very beautiful pale-skinned girl dressed all in black who at that moment stepped through the door. Indeed, Fitzwilliams did not seem to be the only thing in the room moved to stillness by the entrance of the young woman in black. For a moment, a silence seemed to fall over the entire ball as the new arrival glanced over the proceedings, her blue eyes sparkling mischievously. Then these eyes fell upon Fitzwilliams. She smiled, and the rest of the ball seemed to return to normal. Fitzwilliams had never seen anything like her, and yet he found himself wondering, too, if he hadn't seen her somewhere before. Oh, hello. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, please, excuse me. He managed, finally. He was rather good, Fitzwilliams was, at apologizing, and so in his disorientation, he fell back on his strengths. 
Not at all. It's never a bother to almost run into someone so handsome. The only more preferable outcome would have been if we had actually bumped one another. Oh, I, um... <clears throat> Fitzwilliams blushed. My name is Annabelle. You know, this party is boring me already. Would you take me for a promenade? Somewhere dark and quiet where we can be alone? She set her hand softly on his forearm. I'm not sure that would be appropriate. I, I, I mean to say... Oh, bother appropriate. How can we know which of these silly social mores are strong enough to remain standing if we don't try to break them all first? Don't you think that's true? I... I don't know. I, um... Uh... So you'll come with me? And we'll put some rules to the test? I... Yes. <laughs> yes, I... This way, then, dear. This way. Stop! Suddenly, Fanny Carraway was hurrying over and then standing between them. Annabelle Valliere, what are you doing here? What? Really, Auntie, what a greeting after all these years. For your information, I had no desire to come home to Atlanta at all. But my mother, your sister, requested my attendance at your daughter's debutante ball. I thought it would be all dreadfully boring, but to tell the truth, it was just starting to become interesting. Annabelle, you will not ruin this night for your cousin. We're doing the best we can to fit in, in our high society, and if anyone found out that we have a... Uh, uh, what, Auntie? Why, an actress in the family. Well, our family's name would be lost for good. Stop. What now? What is Annabelle Valliere, a supporting character from a tale we told two months ago, doing in this story? You didn't have to tell anyone she was a character from two months ago to strut and fret her poor hour. Still available on iTunes or at BrimbleBanksBrothers.com. She fits in perfectly here. If you remember, Annabelle is from Atlanta and had only recently followed her dream of being a professional actress by moving to Chicago. Where she was turned into a vampire. Oh, blast! Bentley, now you ruined it. I was saving that bit of information for a twist. I was saving Vernon Sterling for... Are we still on Vernon Sterling? Bentley let him go. But yes, Annabelle had become a vampire since last she saw her family. In her defense, who isn't led a bit astray when they abandon their family's to live a bohemian lifestyle up north? Regardless... It only makes sense that she would come home to Atlanta for her cousin's debutante ball. And it's too late now. You didn't think we had enough disparate elements between the debutantes and the mountain lions? You had to send in a blasted vampire? She was already on her way. Just go with it. Oh, I will. Believe me. Penny Cataway had no intention of leaving Annabelle alone with Philbert Fitzwilliams. Luckily for him... Annabelle, leave this... Because she is a vampire... Annabelle, leave this nice young man alone and go find your cousin. If you insist on being here, then make yourself useful. It seems there was an awful snafu with her escort, and she's terribly out of sorts in the back hallway. Poor dear. I'll find her, said Annabelle, and gracefully walked across the dance floor toward the back hallway, catching more than a little attention in the process. Meanwhile, Fanny Cataway tried to smooth things over with Philbert Fitzwilliams. Dear Philbert, you weren't leaving us already, were you? Before even the presentation of the dance? I'm afraid I am, Mrs. Carraway. 
having been left with very little reason to stay. And can nothing keep you? I'm afraid not. He turned to go, but suddenly, standing in the doorway of the country club, was a giant, growling mountain lion. It stood, tail twitching, with its eyes locked on Philbert Fitzwilliams. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really a, 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 a... Damn nuisance is what they are, said Mrs. Carraway, and she walked past Philbert, took hold of the door, and slammed it closed, sliding the bolt into place and locking the mountain lion outside. There now, Mr. Fitzwilliams. Where were we? Ah, yes. You can't even think of leaving now and miss the presentation of the Debs, can you? I mean, after all, that's why we've all come here. Oh, say you'll stay just a little while longer. Fitzwilliams was looking over Fanny Cataway's head at the bolted door. A, um... <clears throat> a, 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 a... bit longer, then. Uh, you know... We don't have those in England. Thick oak doors? That surprises me. Meanwhile, Annabelle Valliere had found her cousin, still in a flustered tizzy with her frenemy, Georgia May. Cousin, dearest. Cousin Annabelle. Together again at last. The two little bells ringing in harmony. Turning to Georgia May, she went on. We used to, when we were kids, my uncle called us the two little bells because her name is Annabelle and my name is Mary Bell. I get it. How quaint. What's going on, dearest? You having an escort for your coming out? Well, I did have. But then he saw me. And then he was eaten. We can fix that little problem, don't you worry. We'll find you an escort, and what else is the matter? Well, Georgia May's dress is ruined. With blood! Ah, well that's even more easily fixed. Believe me, dears, I have more experience with removing blood stains than you could possibly imagine. Shake yourself out of that poofy thing, Georgia May, and I'll take it to the bathroom and see what I can do. You really think you can fix it? I know I can. Maribel helped Georgia May out of her dress, and they handed it to Annabelle, who sniffed at the blood. Mm. Annabelle looked up from the blood-splattered dress to Georgia May's ankles, then took the leisurely route up Georgia May's half-naked body before finally finding her eyes and holding them with her own. Because she's a vampire. Perhaps you'd like to go for a walk with me later. After all this is settled. Somewhere quiet and dark. Uh, Annabelle! <laughs> really, cousin? Get out of Atlanta sometime. She winked, then swept to the bathroom with a bloody dress. She's, uh, she's... Suddenly they heard a low and menacing growl behind them. Both girls slowly turned around to see the crouched form of a giant, tawny mountain lion standing in the hallway, gazing at them, its haunches loaded like springs ready to launch. <coughs> Both girls tore down the hallway, the mountain lion springing forward, its sharp claws only just missing Georgia May's bare calves before it took chase. You know, Jameson, I know you said that this was a man versus nature story, but... You have a vampire in the bathroom, while two young debutants sprint down a hallway trying to save themselves from a terrible, gory death. One of them in her underwear. Are you certain you don't have your Call of the Wild story mixed up with an American slasher film? Well, you can't seem to decide if your story is a comedy of manners, a la wild, or a British romance novel from the Regency period. It doesn't seem to me we should be troubling ourselves with genre purity at this point. I suppose arguing about literary genres while half-naked girls are being chased by a big cat is a bit of a social faux pas on my part. 
get it? I did a comedy of manners phrase mixed, mixed with a paw pun. It's like the whole spirit of this double combined story in one phrase. Social faux pas? I'm glad you found the spirit. Besides, I'm not above a few cheap tricks. Maybe the sight of a beautiful young woman half-dressed and running for her life from a jungle cat will get more people to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Yes, but no one can see the beautiful young woman in running in her underwear from the jungle cat. Have you drawn the cover poster for this story yet? No. Because the last time I wrote us, some hot homoerotic girl-on-girl vampire action into strut and fret her poor hour... The accompanying poster you made to promote it featured a picture of a hand holding a mirror. I mean, I know you were avoiding revealing any of the secrets of the story and the poster suited the narrative, but at some point I want to put some butts in seats, Bentley. Butts. Got it. Right. Maribel and Georgia May ran down the hallway. Georgia May, a bit faster without a dress to slow her down, pulled at doors as they passed, trying to find one that was unlocked. None were. The cougar was only inches behind Maribel when she suddenly tripped over her dress and flew forward, landing on her face. She turned to look back in time to see the mountain lion take air and leap over her. Then, in two more bounds, it was upon Georgia May. The big cat sunk its claws into her flesh like forks into butter and dragged her to the ground as she screamed. Maribel tried to rise, but she was tangled in her dress, her heart pounding, and her attempted calls for help came out in short gasps. She slid backwards on the floor, trying to inch away from the big cats and its half-naked post-pre-deb meal, Georgia May's scream subsided into a wet gurgle. Perhaps Mirabel could continue to inch away while it ate? Perhaps it would be satiated on Georgia May and uninterested in her? She backed away, the disgusting sounds of the consumption of Georgia May filling the hallway. The mountain lion did not look up from its work. Mirabel had almost reached the double doors in the main hall. If she could just... But then she heard another growl behind her. She did not turn to look. She couldn't bear to see another mountain lion. She was trapped between them in the hallway. The first cat, catching the scent of its partner, looked up from its meal and saw Maribel. Blood dribbled from its maw, now dyed red by Georgia May's innards. It crouched. It crept forward, never taking its laser-like gaze off its new prey. Maribel heard the growl behind her grow closer. The cats were pairing up to bring her down. She knew she was finished. And then the sound of the bathroom door swinging open. Annabelle walked into the hallway, carrying the white debutante dress. She saw the two cats and her cornered, terrified cousin. One of the cats roared at Annabelle. And Annabelle roared back. (laughs) Because she is a vampire. Maribel wanted to scream, to warn her cousin away, to tell her to save herself. But Annabelle took a stride toward the two big cats. One of the cats roared again, and the other leapt into the air toward Maribel. Annabelle leapt to meet it. Take a moment to escape the terrible sounds of primal battle and rending flesh for the soothing tones of our musical guest. Here's Driftin' Luke and his many personalities with Cotillion. One, two, three, four... Jasper and Jules of Sweet Carnet. 
Once, when Maribel had been a child, two Atlanta tomcats had gotten in a fight in her yard in the middle of the night. The brutal, terrible yowls had been some of the most awful things she had ever heard in her life. The sounds of the vampire versus mountain lion battle around her now were something akin, only far, far more terrible. She covered her head in her arms and shook, until after what seemed like forever, she realized the hallway had gone utterly silent. Slowly, she released the grip her arms had over her head and looked around. Pieces of giant cat were strewn everywhere. Paws, limbs, heads. The two mountain lions had been torn apart. Their chunks and sections mixed together and in some cases hurled down the hallway so that a mad doctor could not have hoped to have even assembled one whole cat out of the pieces of the two dead ones. And lying in the center of it all, covered in blood, the shredded and red-soaked debutante ball gown still clutched in her hand was Annabelle. Maribel ran to her and fell at her side. Oh, Lord have mercy, Annabelle! Annabelle, what did you do? Annabelle opened one eye. The other had a large bloody gouge across it where a claw had slashed her. Annabelle spit some cat fur from her feigned mouth and reached for her cousin's hand. Enjoy your ball, she said. How did you... Why did you... I guess after everything, deep down, I'm still the little southern belle I always was, cousin. Couldn't stand to... She coughed up blood, then licked her lips. Couldn't stand to see my cousin's dead ball ruined. Annabelle reached for her own throat, where Maribel now saw another horrible gash. There was blood all over her neck and on the floor. Annabelle! It's okay. Feel good, cuz. In a way, after everything. She laughed, and blood gurgled up out of her mouth, causing her to cough again. <coughs> after everything, all the blood and things I've done, I'm still me, cuz. I guess I'm still me, though. Though, you debut. But I can't, Annabelle. I can't go have my debutante ball. Everything is still ruined. I still don't have an escort. Can't sit around waiting for men to make choices for you. Or parents to tell you how to... <coughs> Annabelle, dear Annabelle, rest. Annabelle shook her head, making more blood seep out through her wound. No rest for me, ever. 
You want an escort? It's an easy thing. Just go get one. Get one, little bell. Annabelle's head fell to the side. Her one remaining eye was glassy. Maribel put her cheek to Annabelle's mouth. Not breathing. Gone. She would never talk to her dear sweet cousin again. And her dear sweet cousin would never again ridiculously appear in another Brimblebank's brother's story. Because she was dead. Dead, dead, dead. Nice. Thank you. Maribel, meanwhile, knew she couldn't let her cousin die in vain. She needed to come out to society. And she needed an escort. She stood up wiped her tears away with her bloodied hands, and opened the double doors to the main hall. She strode into the room, drawing everyone's attention with her grace, her bearing, and her newfound confidence. Or it may have been her blood-smeared face that caught their eyes. She saw Philbert's Fitzwilliam standing in the doorway, outside looking pale and unhappy, even for an Englishman. Tentatively, she approached him. Miss Carraway. I wanted to ask... I'm glad for Sorry, the opportunity I... to talk to you again. I... Oh. No. Please, I... I... Suddenly there was a beating on the doors that led to the outside, and someone yelling. Everyone turned and looked, but nobody moved. The banging continued, and someone was frantically screaming on the other side. Good lord, what's all that racket? You'd think we were far enough from the bad part of town here. The guests hesitated another moment, then returned to their conversations while the banging continued. Open the doors! cried Philbert. But still, nobody moved. Open the doors! Still no one moved. For God's sake, someone is out there with your damned American jungle cats. You can't just leave them there. And so, Filbert walked to the door himself, slid the bolt aside, and opened the doors wide. Outside stood a small, young woman in jeans and a t-shirt, breathing heavily. She looked about the room frantically. I need to talk to Colonel Carraway. She exclaimed. There was a pregnant silence during which a few people exchanged knowing glances. I assure you, said Fanny to the room, that my husband has never laid eyes on this girl before. Is he here? They said he was here. Young lady, whatever you think you share with my husband, now is not the time or the place to- People are dying. There are mountain lions everywhere. I need the colonel. Oh, is that all, dear? My goodness. You see, everyone, you can go back to your petty concerns. She only needs to see the colonel about the mountain lion. Nothing scandalous at all. You know, dear, he isn't a real colonel. I doubt he'll be much use to you with anything dangerous. No, I need him for... Look, is he here or not? Yes, I'm certain he's here somewhere. Can anyone else help me? But by this point, the Debs and their families had quite forgotten about the girl in the doorway, and the Debs had returned to comparing their dresses and being... Nervous about the moment they would walk across the stage. The escorts were back to feeling like awkward adolescents in grown-up clothes. The fathers returned to discussing money, the mothers to slapping birds, and everyone to their own internal and external intrigues. And so the young lady, whose name was Pam, was left to run through the ballroom, looking frantically from face to face in her search for Colonel Carraway. I was saying, Mr. Fitzwilliams... Though you would hardly be my first choice for company, any more than I am sure I'd be yours, I seem to find myself this evening, that is, circumstances being what they are. Pam was suddenly standing between them. There are mountain lions devouring Atlanta! Believe me, said Maribel, no one is more aware of that than me. 
and it is owning to this very same rather awkward circumstance, Mr. Fitzwilliams, that I must ask you, that I must request, that is, that if you be a gentleman at all, you... That was when the mountain lions started coming in through the windows. And just when Maribel had almost found within herself the combination of humility and confidence required to ask Mr. Fitzmilliams to be her escort for that. Oh, never mind. At that moment, a mountain lion sailed over the heads of all three of the young people and onto the ballroom floor where it roared full-throated, causing the party guests to back away and cower. Ernest backed into Pam. I'd say, Fitzy, I'm beginning to think we should just cancel this whole debutante thing and, and just go play croquet. What do you say? No! I'm going to walk down that stage if- A mountain lion leapt at one of the Debs then and dragged her away from her screaming friends. As the girl was quite small, it was able to pick her up in its jaws, shake her once, and drop her limp, broken body onto the ground. There was silence for a moment as everyone stared at the body. And then three more mountain lions came in through the windows. Then a sixth, a seventh, Ernest grabbed Fitzwilliams' arm. Fitzy, don't you think we should... And then he screamed as a mountain lion was upon him. <laughs> Fitzwilliams backed toward the double doors, mute in horror, but he tripped over the fat dead body of Fanny Carraway. Maribel shrieked in frustration. <laughs> she looked at Pam. What do we do? Mr. Fitzwilliams, don't move. We'll finish this conversation in a moment. I need to find Colonel Carraway. My dad? Why? You're the only one that can stop this. Maribel stared at Pam, utterly perplexed. Her father? The, the one with the embarrassing red cowboy hat? Was the only one who could save the debutante ball? Well, if he was, he was. She pointed at a door that led to a stairwell at the far side of the ballroom. I'll never make it there without getting eaten. Indeed, Debs were being tossed about the dance floor now, helter-skelter. The mountain lions, having quenched their most immediate hunger, seemed to be having a great deal of extremely bloody fun with the debutante ball attendees. Shrieks and screams filled the air as white-dress-clad Debs and tuxedo escorts would start to scurry away from their natural predators, only to be pounced on again and horribly clawed. Once again released, they would, with somewhat less enthusiasm, try to crawl away again, only to be pounced on and battered about once more. Mr. Fitzwilliams had meanwhile been backed into a corner by two especially large mountain lions and seemed to be trying to hold them at bay with his top hat. Oh! You said my dad can stop this! He's the only one. Maribel thought of her cousin, of the example she had set, of her last words. She didn't need to watch all of this happen and wait for someone to tell her what to do. She ran past screaming dying person after screaming dying person back out into the hallway and past the inert body of her beloved cousin. There, on the wall, she saw what she was looking for. She reached out, broke the glass with her bare hand, and pulled the fire alarm lever. There were flashing lights and a loud, pulsing buzz. Startled cats stepped away from their prey and crouched down, ears folded back, looking about wildly. And then the sprinkler system turned on. And the huge cats, quickly losing interest in their prey, confused and in a panic, were suddenly looking for the exit. Maribel came back into the room as the cats were scattering. Some found the door or a window and ran out into the night. Maribel stepped over the bodies of Atlanta's finest citizens, mostly dead, but some still groaning, a few calling for help. She grabbed Pam's hand. 
This way. The two hurried across the ballroom floor to the stairwell entrance. Inside it was dark. A figure stood in the stairway. He was wearing a large cowboy hat. Dare? Oh, hello. <laughs> just, uh, just getting away from all the hubbub for a spell. Is it about time for you coming out? I'm glad you came and found me. I wouldn't have missed that for all the butter in Paula Dean's backside. No, Dad. Everyone's getting eaten by mountain lions. Dad, are you drinking a Dr. Pepper? Don't tell your mother. Colonel Carraway, I'm Pam Hutchinson from the Atlanta Journal. You didn't see that! Slander, I say! No interviews! This is a family function! Said the Colonel, putting the can of Dr. Pepper behind his back. I'm not here for an interview, although... I'll accept a statement later if you want. I'm here because the entire city of Atlanta is teeming with mountain lions. Hundreds of people have died. And I've discovered why they've come here. Oh? It's your soda pop. Ridiculous! Marvelous! Mountain lions like our soda pop? They do when it's filled with highly concentrated, genetically modified catnip. Preposterous! Why would we put catnip in our soda pop? While not as powerful as its effects on felines, this... Modified catnip has a similar draw for humans and is mildly addictive. My guess is your dad and his soda scientists were just looking for a new road to brand loyalty. Oh, it's harmless! I've been giving nip to our cat, General Stone Meow Jackson, for 15 years, and he's just fine! Loves his stuff. Look, the effects on humans isn't my concern at the moment. That's between you and the FDA. Right now, I need you to shut down production and get whatever stock of the nip you have left shipped out of the city. The mountain lions aren't just drawn here. They go crazy once they get here. Correlation isn't causation. I see no proof. I say I see no proof that a slight increase in the cougar population could have been caused by my product. You eco-socialist fascists first complain about a depreciation of global species, and then when happenstance seems to return, a natural predator to an ecosystem. Natural? To Atlanta, Georgia, Colonel. So you won't help me? You won't help Atlanta? Colonel Carraway Cola has done nothing but help Atlanta, Georgia, since its inception. I'd like to see what happens to the economy of this town without us. I'll help. The warehouse people might listen to me. Good. Let's go. Maribel Carraway, don't you go anywhere near that woman. I am your father and your CEO, and what I say- Dad, your stupid catnip cola ruined my big day! Pam and Maribel hurried back across the ballroom to the exit, but on their way, Maribel saw Mr. Fitzwilliams. He was helping a wounded young lady stay calm until the paramedics could arrive. When he saw Maribel, he rose. Miss Carraway, was the sprinkler system your idea? It was bloody brilliant. You, you saved lives. I'm utterly impressed. <laughs> and I'm sorry that, that, that... Be quiet. I don't care what my family thinks. Most of them are dead. And I don't care what society thinks. Most of them are dead. And I don't care about how old your family is. Because when I inherit my father's morally bankrupt but fiscally sound company, I will be way more rich and powerful than you'll ever be. Oh, true, said Fitzwilliams. But now I'd like a word. Maribel, can we get going? Wait. You are an incredible woman. Your forthrightness, your bravery, your ingenuity have saved lives, and, and I must admit that I was pressured by my family to try and, well, to get along with you, as it were, and that I resented the lack of freedom that that pressure seemed to be asking of me, but that since having met you and 
becoming astounded by your extraordinary... By your... Well, what I mean is that if you would perhaps like an escort to be... Well, wherever it is you're going, and whatever it is you're doing, I would be more than delighted. Why, why I should be... I should be... Oh, Mr. Fitzwilliams, yes. I should be so pleased if you... <laughs> damn, damn, damn! The mountain lion, having been lost somewhere in the hallways of the country club, had made short work of Mr. Fitzwilliams on its way out, and then with one leap was up and out the window. Come on. Don't even look. You can grieve later. We have lots of other lives to save. Fine, whatever. And Maribel and Pam hurried into the night. Meanwhile, Colonel Carraway had made his way out of the stairwell and onto the ballroom floor, still holding his can of Dr. Pepper. Good grief, Atlanta hasn't been this much of a mess since Sherman came through. He said as he stepped over bodies, making his way across the floor to the back hallway. This was actually his fourth can of Dr. Pepper for the evening and he really needed to use the little colonel's room. In the back hallway, the colonel was startled momentarily to see that the carnage here shifted from people parts to cat parts. <clears throat> but closer to the bathroom, the colonel noticed another human body on the floor. The black dress caught his eye, and on second look, he realized that the badly mauled figure was his niece, Annabelle. Annabelle! My goodness, I didn't even know you were here today. He crouched by her and held his hand in front of her to feel for breath. Annabelle's one remaining eyelid fluttered. Uh, Uncle? Shush now. Shush now. Help is on its way. So weak. Well, you've been clawed to pieces by a huge cat, so that's to be expected. Save your energy. So... so thirsty. Ah, well, the doctor is here. The colonel held out his can of Dr. Pepper toward her by way of offer. Annabelle raised her only eyebrow. Yes, well, the damn stuff is so tasty. Twenty-three flavors, you know. It's no wonder I had to use catnip to compete. Never could get enough of the concoction. Now, niece, do you, do you want a sip or not? He leaned in toward her. No, Dr. Pepper, uncle. Thank you. She rasped. Suddenly, her hands were on the lapels of his coat. Turn it. Possibly drink the competition. You know, Uncle, I've always been a loyal Colonel Carraway girl. And she pulled him forcefully in, spilling his Dr. Pepper and knocking his signature red cowboy hat off in the process. It fell into a pool of blood. You have been listening to my master's almost having a meltdown that could have destroyed this month's story. But didn't! I actually think it came out rather well in the end. But can we get rid of that stupid chart now? Yes. And can we tell another space story sometime? Maybe rock bands in space. Fine. Then all is well. You know, I think the new product placement contract we worked out with the new CEO of Caraway Cola worked out quite well too. Heaven forfend. But I do think I have a sudden taste for a Colonel Caraway soda pop. I'll to the kitchen. Did you want one, Bedley? They sent an awful lot, after all. No, thank you. And if you give Midnight another one, she's sleeping in your room tonight. Very well. Come along, Midnight.
you have been listening to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers Electronic Storytime presentation of Coquettes and Cougars, or the Cougars of Caraway, written by Justin Vidovic and Brody H. Brocky and starred Justin Vidovic as Jameson Brimble Banks, and Brody H. Brocky as Bentley Brimble Banks. This episode's story was brought to life by the voice talents of Kaylee Schneeman as Maribel Caraway, Victoria Recuff as Penny Caraway and Georgia May Hathaway, Colleen Stonaw Williams as Annabelle Vallier, Scott Longfrey as Philbert Fitzwilliams, David Melcher as Ernest, Jared Hofford as Charles Cumberland, and Brody H. Brocky as Colonel Caraway. The commercial, Pistachios, was written and performed by Justin Vidovic. This month's musical guest was Drifting Luke and his many personalities, with the song Cotillion. Hear more of his music at driftingloop.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this story and would like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. For more Brimblebanks fun, follow us on the Facebook thing or the Twitter thing. Isn't technology great? I hope you think so, because I am a robot. Until next time, this is the VoxBot 5000 for the Brimblebanks brothers saying, Meow meow, look at me, I'm a cougar, I'm a Ichu.